Welcome to this weekend's edition of Second City Sports Zoom Style. Zoom Style! <laughs> Along with the creator and host, co-host, and founder of Second City Sports, Miss Lakina McGee. I am Sydney Brown. You can follow yours truly on Twitter and Instagram at SidKid80. That's once again at SidKid80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-80. You follow me at Keena McGee on Twitter, at Keena underscore McGee on the Instagram. And joining us for today, for our top of our, of our first segment, the top story is the Chicago Blackhawks um, down 0-2 to the Las Vegas Golden Knights. To help us um, review that series and talk about just Blackhawks hockey in general, we welcome uh, pre- and post-game host for NBC Sports Chicago, Mr. Pat Ball. You can follow Pat on Twitter at BoyleNBCS. That's Boyle at as BoyleNBCS. Pat, thanks for taking the time. How are you today? I'm great, Sydney and Lakina. Great to be with you guys. Sydney, we've been trying to set this up for a long time. I'm glad our schedule's yeah. able to work out. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yay. Uh, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Before we get started, um, as, as a viewer, just watching you and Jamal Mayers, a.k.a. Jammer, and Steve Conroy on Hawks pre- and post-game live. Uh, it looks like you guys are having a good time in those new studios. Tell us about it. Yeah, you know, to me, if, if we're having a good time, hopefully people that are watching are having a good time as well. But, yeah, we have these brand-new uh, studios that were actually almost completed before the, uh, the pandemic hit. And, and then, of course, everything paused in, in, in March. And uh, so when uh, hockey resumed – and NBA resumed, uh, we opened up the new studios and MLB. And so now we're able to uh, do all our White Sox, our Bulls and our Blackhawks coverage from a brand new state of the art home. And uh, yeah, we're having some fun. Still some things we're trying to figure out. A lot of technology going on in that place. <laughs> but um, the big thing is we'd like to see this team advance and uh, they're in a two zip yeah. hole right now and, and things aren't looking really good. I know because yeah. I thought they I thought they had that game last night, Pat. I mean, you know, they were doing so well, they were able to overcome you know a slow start, and but then Vegas, you know, their speed and their you know their their, their quickness sort of just got the better of them in the end. Yeah, Lakina, I liked their game. I, I yeah. liked it for the first two periods. I mean, I didn't like being down two zip. I thought Corey Crawford let in you know another goal that he usually stops the second goal of the game but I love their response in the second period scoring three times Patrick Kane assisting on all three goals they got a power play goal from Kubalik uh they had that that goal with 14 seconds to go I mean that was a thing of beauty yeah. watching Debrinket sending it across the ice to Kane and and Robin Leonard thinking Kane is somehow going to backhand one on him uh, and so he's respecting the shot and and Kane fakes him out and puts a beautiful pass on the tape of Dylan Strom and there you go we got a 3-3 game so I loved it but here's the deal it's um they're playing a really good team yeah. and the margin for error for this Blackhawks team is paper thin and we saw in the third period and in the overtime uh, Vegas just you know, lay the wood to them. I mean, they outshot him 16 to six in the third, seven to one in overtime. Uh, yes, the Hawks hit a couple of posts, but, you know, Vegas was the better team in crunch time. So 
Uh, it was unfortunate to see it end that way. I, we talk about puck luck in this game, and I don't want to play the puck luck card, but I can tell you this. Through six games, the Blackhawks have hit 10 posts. 10 posts. The next closest team is Boston with four. So you think the, the fraction of, of centimeters it takes for a, a puck, to, just a little, little variance and difference there, uh, you've got you know, possibly four or five goals. In, in last night's case, Dylan Strome in overtime sends one off the crossbar. Uh, a, a fraction of an inch uh, below that, and, and it's a game winner, and we're talking in a whole different light today. Now, oh, you kind of got a direction that I want to go to to you for this next question. Let's focus in on some of the Hawks' uh, key uh, young players. Uh, Kirby Dog, uh, you talking about puck luck uh, just a moment ago. He hit a few posts in the Edmonton series, but in – in Thursday night's game, too, he finally got a goal off, off, off a shot from Calvin DeHaan. Talk about Kirby Dye. Do you see him starting to turn around a little bit? Because it, it seems like he finally got rewarded for his hard work in that qualifying round uh, against Edmonton. Well, you guys tell me, do you think he looks like a different player than before the pause? Because from my vantage point, he looks like, a, 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 I think, a, a completely different player. Oh, you can tell. Oh, yeah. You can totally tell the difference. Definitely, yeah. You yeah. definitely tell he's, the difference. Yeah. He's confident. He got bigger. Here's what he did. So, you know, March eleventh, uh, they play their last game. The league gets shut down on March twelfth. He went up to Patrick Kane and asked Patrick for his personal trainer that Patrick uses here in Chicago, Ian Mack. And so Patrick gave him his number and, and, and set him up with the information. So Doc went to Max Studios. Now, this was before, um, you know, we were in kind of lockdown mode. This was right as it happened. He went there and trained with him for a week. And then he went back to Edmonton, his hometown, and trained virtually with this, this trainer, Ian Mack, uh, for the majority of the pause. And let me tell you, if – if Patrick Kane endorses something, and it, he's been using him now for, I think, three or four seasons, and other players around the league are now flying to Chicago to use this guy, I thought it was really mature of a 19-year-old to go up to a superstar, ask him who his trainer is, can I get his information, and then to go follow through. And, and I think we're seeing – the the uh the fruits of his labor on the ice so I think he is a different player I think he's faster his shots better um I think he still needs to get a little more selfish and have a, a shoot first mentality we saw in game one he got a great opportunity in the opening minutes and he wanted to pass and then he got in too deep and he never got a shot off so we know against this Vegas team the, the margin for error is slight. You got to make the most of your opportunities. But I, I love the future of, of, of Kirby Doc. And I, think, I can't believe the growth he's made um, in this, this year and the fact that he's 19 years of age. I think his future is really bright here in Chicago. And, you know, to think he was taken a year ago with the number three overall pick and, and he's already a second line center. Um, I think that bodes well for this team in the future. How do you think, 
I just wanted, how did you feel when once you know, everything started kind of opening up and once NHL and NHLPA sort of agreed on this sort of, you know, round robin playoff style tournament, how surprised were you that the Hawks would be able to participate in this? Because they didn't look really good, you know, right before they shut down. Yeah, well, Akina, they would not have made the playoffs. You know, with 12 games to go, they were in the 12 spot. They were six points out of the final playoff spot. They had four teams in front of them. So they would have had to go like 10 and two or nine and three at the worst down the stretch. And that just wasn't in the cards. The, the team didn't do it all, all season long. Um, so, you know, during the pause, we got hints that, you know, some of the different models that were being kicked around would, would expand it to 24. And it made sense that, you know, when you looked at it, Montreal was the 12 seed in the East. Chicago was the 12 seed in the West. Two original six teams, two very popular markets. Um, and they were trying to create, you know, this qualifying round and the round robin before the actual Stanley Cup playoffs began. And you kind of had to reward teams for what they did during the regular season. So they only rewarded four teams. And those teams played that round robin schedule and you really kind of screwed the, you know, like the, the Edmonton Oilers were one point away from being in that round robin. Instead they drew the Hawks and we all know what happened there. So I, I, we heard about it. And of course we were excited about it as Hawks fans because it's, mm-hmm. it's a get out of jail free card. It's a lottery ticket. However you want to <laughs> look at it. It's an opportunity that we didn't think they were going to have. And then what were they going to do with that opportunity? And that's what I was impressed with. Um, I saw focus when they came back to training camp that I was uh, quite frankly stunned about. I, I didn't think they would hit the ice and, 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 um, and play at the pace that they were playing. And this was even with the backdrop of Corey Crawford not being there. And I, I think we all would admit, you know, if they were going to advance, Corey Crawford was going to have to play a role in this. And so they were playing at this high level and and upbeat practices and and Corey was not even around for two weeks. So that I thought was interesting that Corey comes back and can he ramp up in time? And, you know, I I think um, he is clearly not at the top of his game right now. And in these first two games of this series, against Vegas, he's allowed three goals that normally he stops. So is that the rust from being off for four months? Is that because he was dealing with COVID-19 right up until the day before, you know, the recovery part of it, I should say, right up the day before they left for Edmonton? Uh, You know, certainly you can throw those excuses out there, but I think it's, it's safe to say that Corey hasn't played at the level we're used to seeing. Black House pre and post game host Pat Boyle from NBC Sports Chicago is joining us right now on Second City Sports Zoom style. Pat, I was going to bring up Corey Crawford for my next question, but I'll ask it in a different style. Uh, he hasn't looked great so far in the playoffs. Yeah, part of it, as you said, due to him recovering from COVID 19. I think he needs to steal a game or two in this season for the Hawks to have a chance. Yes, the defense, uh, uh, in, in particular, the Blue Line has had to play. Uh, better in front of him but do you think he, you, he, he has it in him to to steal one game in this series and, and do you think that he's the most underappreciated Blackhawks uh, 
player of all time? A lot of questions there. Let me start with, uh, do I think he's up to stealing a game? Yes, I do. And I actually thought that that was going to happen, especially with the game four performance he had against Edmonton. That, to me, was a goalie win. That, to me, was if number 50 is not in net, the Hawks don't win that game, and that game is going to uh, a fifth game. Um, but um, I, it, didn't, it didn't carry over into the first two games of this series because – he let in two soft goals in game one and one in game two. So that's where the Corey Crawford critics come out of the woodwork and they just say, this guy's inconsistent and this and that, and he's overrated. And I don't buy, I, I just, here's on this team, the way it's been set up. When we talk about the Chicago Blackhawks, everybody starts with Kane and Taves. They automatically, and then they go to guys like Duncan Keith, and then they go to guys like Marion Hossa. And when you really get down, Corey kind of pops up, oh, I don't know, sixth player, seventh player, you know, and even though he's part of two, he just never has been one of the, again, those three of those guys I mentioned are Hall of Famers. Kane, Taves, Keith are going to the Hall of Fame, and, and rightfully so. So they are going to get and garner the most attention and the most talk. But I do believe he's one of the more underrated. And I also think, you know, I, I think people look at the bad goals, but don't look at the goals that he prevents uh, that are the high dangerous variety. And he did that all regular season. He's done it a little bit in this series as well. Um, so, yeah, I do think he's one of the more underrated, underappreciated athletes in Chicago sports. But the timing of you and I having this conversation, I can see why the critics come out. Because, like, right now, you know, his resume is, you know, you're only as good as your last game. In the last two games, we would all, I think, all admit uh, that – they were not at an, at an A level from him. They were more like uh, C minus levels from court. Let's talk about Jerry, Jeremy Collins for a second, uh, Pat. I mean, we all know what happened. You know, he got inserted in, you know, not a lot of head, head, NHL head coaching experience. Do you think he's the answer long-term for the Blackhawks? Well, I, I think it's been interesting to watch the youth of this team and the youth of a coach together. Um, you know, we were spoiled again to have the second all-time winningest coach in Joel Quenville. Um, those are tough shoes to replace. You know, you never want to be the person replacing the Hall of Famer. It, it just it, it it's usually very difficult to step into that. And I think it was very difficult, especially in season for for Jeremy and he had a different system and a different personality. I got to know him a little bit when he was in Rockford and the one year he was there and the Hawks got bounced early. So, and Rockford went on this long run. So I would go to Rockford and cover games. And I remember talking to my colleague, Charlie Romeliotis, and we were like, this guy's really impressive. And we'd walk in the, in the room in Rockford and, he had this detailed game plan, and they went to the Western Conference Finals and the Calder Cup. And, and, and our takeaway was, this guy's not going to be long for the AHL. Like, the, I, I could see him coming to the NHL. Um, 
The, the thing is, too, he replaces a legend and he steps into a locker room where some of the guys are older than him. And most of the guys in that room have three Stanley Cups or the leaders in that room have three Stanley Cups. So that's kind of an intimidating thing, too. You've got to win that, those guys over. Your job really is probably more to bring along the young guys. So you've got a lot of worlds colliding. Um, I, I think he's made some good steps this year. I think he uh, modified his defensive zone system, but it did come up last night in the game-winning goal, um, and that was something that, that plagued this team uh, before the pause early in the regular season. So they went to this. Jeremy wanted to do a man-on-man -man defensive zone coverage, and to not get too hockey geeky on you, it's basically like man-on-man -man in any sport. Where that man goes, you go. Now, the way, the way Joel Quenville and a lot of NHL teams, most of the teams, is more of a zone situation. So there's always a defenseman in front of the net protecting the most dangerous area. And the other defenseman, if the puck's on the right side, one goes that way. When the puck's on the left side, the other D-man goes there. And the, the other defenseman replaces him in front of the net. Okay. So last night on the game-winning goal, Lucas Carlson, who's a rookie, uh, who was playing the left side, drifts over to the right side to take uh, the, the, the man carrying the puck. Connor Murphy's on that right side. The puck goes down low. So now, at a critical part of the game, after being out there for an extended period of time, you've got the two defensemen, both on the right side of the ice, both very close to the wall leaving all that space in front of the net, that valuable space open for somebody else. So that meant a forward had to pick up the man that was in front of the net. Taves was out of position there. Uh, I think Kubalik was, was even higher, but it was probably Taves' responsibility. Now, again, this is all happening in, in a split second. Read, react, I mean. But, but that was kind of um, an issue that the defenseman had when Jeremy took over. They modified it, but last night it, it, it reared its ugly head at the worst time possible. So those things need to be ironed out from, from my vantage point. And um, they also have to have the players that are able to execute the system that he wants. So that's kind of what I'm looking at here uh, in the remainder of the series, trying to figure out who are the pieces that are a part of this team going forward. You know, we know what to expect from Kane. We know what to expect from Taves and Keith, even though they're in the twilights of their career. But what, what do we know? I mean, Debrinket's been, you know, a 40 goal scorer and he's also, you know, had a big step back this past year. Dylan Strom's contract's up. He looked great in game two, reunited with his buddy Debrinket. Didn't look that great uh, in the Edmonton series and in game one. So I'm trying to figure out who's part of the big plan going forward. And I think that that's something that Hawks fans should take a look at here on Saturday and Sunday uh, to see which guys are, are going to lay it on the line and keep this uh, and try to extend this series. I mean, I don't think they're going to win this series, but I want to see the character of this team. I, I brought it up on the radio today. 
you know, in 2011 and 2012, those were both one and done years for the Blackhawks. They were down in their series against Vancouver, three zip and to Arizona, I think three, one might've been three zip as well. And they forced game sevens in both of those instances. And they got it to overtime in one of them and they lost them both. But that's the character of a team. When you're facing, you know, um, odds that are minimal for you to advance and you keep extending a series and you get it to a game seven, that's a character builder that you can use in 2013 when they cup, when they won the cup and they were down 3-1 in a series and they rallied to win. And they used it in 2014 when they were down against St. Louis and in 2015 as well. So um, that's what I'm looking for from this team here over the next couple of days. What types of players are building blocks for the future? Which guys are not going to mail it in and they're going to try to extend these series and are, are the type of player that you need this time of year? And speaking of the, one of the young core guys, Pat, I want to ask you about Dominic Kubelik. Of course, he's one of the three finalists for the Call of the Cup Trophy, the NHL Rookie of the Year. He's continued his momentum from the pause from the regular season onto the playoffs. He scored again in game two last night. Talk about him. I'm sure it's safe to say he's one of the main pieces going forward. Yeah, he is. And, you know, that's something that Stan Bowman and the scouting staff have to be um, really excited about. I mean, they picked Kubalik up uh, for next to nothing. I think a fifth round pick is all they gave up for that. And this guy is a Calder Cup finalist. So you got to give uh, the, the, the staff their due on that one. Yeah, he's a part of the future. He's also, with every goal he, he's uh, making in these playoffs, uh, that registers going up a little bit more because he is a restricted free agent. So he's, he's going to cash in a bit when this season comes to an end. He's got a great shot, Sydney. I, I, I love his shot. Mm -hmm. um, to me, he's made a difference on the power play. Had another power play goal uh, last night. Uh, he's just been a, he's been a great find. Um, and, and that's really, you know, I, I like, like we know the, the top line. We know Kubelik, Taves, and Saad are the top line. But the rest of this lineup, you know, it's kind of been a revolving door. Who are we going to put with Kane and and who are we going to put on the third line? And, you know, championship teams by now pretty much know what players should be on which lines. And, and even last night, you know, we had Kajula playing with Doc and Kane to start. We had Dabrinkit and Strom put back together out there with Highmore, who's a fourth line guy. So um, the, the, uh, the lines need to become solidified and – you know, that's something when you watch those championship teams, there'd be tweaking, but we, we kind of knew where everybody was slotted and you weren't taking fourth line guys and throwing them up with Taves and Kane uh, very much, if at all. Um, so that's something that needs to be sorted out. And that's kind of where we're at. We're in a transition period. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're looking at a, a core group of guys that are making a lot of money and have no movement uh, clauses in their contracts. And then we've got this group of young players that we're trying to bring together. So th this franchise is in a transition period. Um, they've made some steps this year. I think it was important to win that qualifying round. 
But I also think it's important to not go out and be swept in this series by Vegas. I kind of feel like that would, uh, you know, it'd be like two steps forward, maybe three steps back if, if that's mm-hmm. the way this thing ended. Yeah, I think that the morale, I think, is kind of the question. If, I, if, they, if they could enforce this to maybe like five or six, I think the morale boost, considering everything that happened, I think this should help sort of, you know, the Blackhawks sort of, you know, what direction they go to, you know, next season and beyond. Yeah, and I think we have to give Lakina um, Vegas credit. Like, if you look at this team, like, they're a storybook. They're, they're a storybook uh, franchise in professional sports. I mean, this is their third year of existence. You remember, uh, you know, they, their first year, they have the horrific tragedy in Vegas right before they played their first game. So with the backdrop uh, of what was going on in Vegas and all the uncertainty after those shootings, um, that city kind of rallied behind them. They went on that magical run as an expansion team with a bunch of cast-offs from different teams. They go to the Stanley Cup final. They lose to Washington. And then last year, they're up 3-1 in their first-round series against San Jose, and they end up losing that in seven games. So I think they've had a chip on their shoulder. They had a chip on their shoulder before the pause. They won like 10 of their last 12 games before the pause. They went out and got Robin Leonard so that they have the best tandem uh, goalies with Marc-Andre Fleury and with Robin Leonard. And uh, according to them, you know, they, they all stayed in Vegas during the pause and they worked out together a lot on the ice. Guys that were able to go back to Europe and Canada did not. They stayed in Vegas. And that's why they're attributing their, their late game uh, success. They, they've outscored their opponents, Colorado and now Chicago, 11-1 to 1 in the third period and overtime so far in this playoffs. And they say that's because they're in better condition than the other teams because of the seriousness that they took during the pause. I'll also say this. I think it's because they're motivated and they see this as an opportunity. And just like the Hawks used losing to the Kings uh, in 2014 as a uh, kind of a rallying point to push them in 2015 to another cup and the bitterness of losing a game seven and being one goal away from going to the cup final, which the Kings easily won and everyone assumes the Hawks would have done the same. They use that to their advantage. I kind of think that that's what Vegas is doing. And you can say that it's, it's their dedication during the pause. I think it's also uh, the, the unfinished business theory that they've been so close. Uh, they've been through some tough, tough stuff together, and they see this as a great opportunity. In a couple more minutes with Pat Boyle of NBC Sports Chicago, Black House pre- and post-game host right here on Second City Sports. Pat, I want to ask you about Jonathan Tate. So far, he hasn't looked that great in this series against Vegas, but he looked great in the previous series in the qualifying round against the Oilers. Talk about his leadership but on and off the ice. He's one of the best, Sydney. Um, I was so impressed with him during the pause. Uh, after the George Floyd murder, his Instagram post uh, following the riots here in Chicago, um, 
from his perspective as a, as a white male. Uh, I thought it was very heartfelt. I thought it was honest. You know, he called for action. You know, it, enough of the talk. Um, it's time for action. And he was putting it on white males to, 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 to be a part of that, which I think is an really important part of this equation and and for so far too long has not been um addressed uh so i was really impressed with that then i was impressed with him going to the west side and with sam Acho and a bunch of other athletes you know put first of all he gave, he donated i think a hundred thousand dollars of his own money for pandemic relief but he went out and gave his time and and Look, it wasn't for the Jonathan Tate's foundation. It wasn't the Blackhawks telling him. He did this because he wanted to do this. So, Sydney, when I talk about leaders, I mean, I look at everything that they do. And I look at, at, at how they handle crisis and how they handle a tough time in our city and what they say and what they do. And I, I, and I told I did an interview with them um, a couple of weeks ago few weeks ago now and he was he was in Edmonton in the bubble and I told him right after the zoom I said hey I meant everything I said about you know how impressed how proud I was uh I, I said we've all been proud of what you've done on the ice but I don't think I've ever been more proud of you uh when I read that Instagram post and I I would I would suggest for people to reread it because I, I think it's uh it's a perspective that is uh, that that needed to be shared, and uh, I, I again, I think it, I think it speaks for itself. So I tell people to take a look at that. So when I say leader, uh, I can't say enough good things about him. I've always been impressed with kind of how he comports himself in in the locker room. Um, he's a highly competitive guy. He really is, um, but he, he's also uh, he he likes to learn. And he's, you know, like, like you hear a lot about his uh, dedication to his uh, nutrition and his different workouts. Like he really takes that seriously. And he has his entire life. There's a, there's a story that like a kid, one of his buddies came over when they were, you know, 10 years old or whatever. And they're, they were going to, you know, watch TV, play video games and spend the night, whatever. And the kid came over and Jonathan had like set up a circuit training session <laughs> and the kid like three hours into the day or the night, it's like, what, when are, when are we going to start having the popcorn and watching pizza and, and, and playing video games? Like this is like a training camp. So, I mean, that's the way this guy has been built since day one. But uh, I think he is to me, uh, one of the greatest leaders I've ever seen in my 17 years of covering Chicago sports. Uh, it's been an honor and a privilege to, to have a front row seat to see it. And uh, I, I, again, I, I like to, to see how we judge people, not just in their work, but what they do outside of their work. And I think uh, what we saw in recent months from him uh, speaks to his character. Definitely continues to impress. Now, I want to go off hockey for a second. Pat, I know you're a Michigan State guy. I mean, with everything that's going on, with the football team especially, 
Mark D'Antonio leaves or is forced out, however, however, yeah. you know, they, they put it over at East Lansing. Mel Tucker comes in, and now there's no season for the Big Ten until maybe the spring. What do you think has been go- going on, all this stuff going on with college sports, and can they sort of, like, get back to normal, if you will, for the spring? Wow. Um, look, it, it was a tough day to hear that the Big Ten had, had canceled their, their season. I'm a huge college football fan. I'm a huge NFL fan. I love Big Ten football. My wife doesn't like the mood that that team puts me in on Saturday, so that's a good thing maybe. Because <laughs> uh, that team, man, I, I, it's like I'm a roller coaster. You can tell exactly what the final score was by, by looking at my, uh, my facial expression at 5 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturdays. Um, look, this is a real interesting time. I, I – you know, I, I put it like if, if you have, I have a 16-year-old daughter, what if she was a freshman in college? How comfortable would I feel with her going to a school right now? Because, look, that's, you know, college is all about community, living close together, studying, partying, going to class, growing up as an individual, learning to interact with different people and um we're in a situation now where it's all about not interacting with people so it's a really it's a tough time i do think kids though in in that age group are the the ones that are invincible i just had a conversation with my daughter this morning i'm like hey are we remember the social social distancing thing we talked about like you guys i see some pictures on instagram there's like 10 of you girls <laughs> taking a picture like that's not social distancing you know and i get the eye, eye roll you know and all that so to answer it lakina I, I don't think any of us know how this can be i i i could make a case that the student athlete that's playing college football or basketball that's got medical personnel around them, that's getting tested frequently, that, that is, they're trying to create a pseudo bubble. I could make a case that they're safer than the other students. And I think that that's not a stretch to say that. Um, so, you know, I, I do think I would like to see them try to put some sort of spring schedule together. Now, the pundits say, all right, Pat, if, if you're going to play some sort of Big Ten or some sort of schedule in the spring, don't tell me you're worried about the health of the student athlete and they're going to play a few months later in the fall of 2021. Well, I'm like, look, th- none of this makes sense, right? I mean, um, my work has changed. Your work has changed. Uh, the NBA season has changed. It, it may have changed for forever. We may not see hockey. Hockey's going to start in December or January. There, there's a case that, that the NHL and the players say, you know what? We don't need to go up against college football and the NFL. We can start in December or January and play into August. And, and you know, maybe make more money in a TV deal. So there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I think football is obviously the most difficult sport to not have this virus spread. I mean, you look at a huddle, you look at a line, you look at 
big individuals who are already at risk because of their weight, breathing heavy, inches away from each other, uh, you know, do the math, like that's gonna be hard. And oh, by the way, if we're talking college, they're also 19 years old, 20, 21, and they're maybe not as mature as somebody who's in the Orlando bubble who's saying, all right, I, I, you know what? I got to lock it down. I, I cannot, I cannot let down my team and a league by going out and to a nightclub. That's harder to do in police on a college campus with all these different, you know, schools and with, you know, the, the lack of funding to keep an eye on everybody. So it's a, it's a tough situation. I feel so bad for high school athletes right now, especially seniors. And I feel bad for, for, I feel bad for anybody playing college athletics. Um, because who knows if this year would have been the year, like, like Joe Burrow, like he was, he had a horrible year two years ago. Yep. And then Burrow had a fantastic year last year. If, if that was this year and he doesn't have that opportunity, do you think he's taken first overall in the NFL draft? No. No. So no, there's so many, um, you know, sports dreams or, or paths that are made in a season. And it's unfortunate that a lot of those are being stalled right now or postponed or quite possibly, you know, put away and, and they're not going to have that opportunity. I do feel bad for those kids and those student athletes. That really stinks. Um, but I do, at the end of the day, if these schools cancel that, I know I always say follow the money, right? And the reason why all these sports are playing during the pandemic is because they're trying to limit the losses and they're trying to make money. And if they're willing to not make money in college athletics by not playing a football season, I got to say, all right, what's their, why are they willing to kiss away 300 million that Michigan's program or Michigan state or Penn state brings in and, and builds these unbelievable uh, lecture halls and, 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 you know, different, uh, places around campus why are they willing to do that are they worried about being sued and that that i think is probably the other part of this equation that if one player or god help us multiple players uh were seriously infected by this virus and maybe had some long-term effects or even had the worst outcome possible could you imagine the lawsuits uh, that will be uh, filed against these programs. So that's probably a part of the equation as well. It's not just the safety of the student athlete, it's the litigious society that, that we live in. One last question for Pat Boyle of NBC Sports Chicago, right here on the Second City Sports, along with Lakina McGee and Sydney Brown. Pat, we discussed this a little bit right before we started recording. The news broke right before we started recording. Uh, Bull, the Chicago Bulls fired head coach Jim Boylan. Now the new front office with AK Mark Eversley, the GM, is, will 
search for a new head coach, which starts immediately. What, give us, quickly, give us your thoughts about uh, the firing of Jim Ballman. This is, for most Bulls fans, long overdue. Yeah, what took so long, I guess, would be my, the first yeah. thing that comes <laughs> to mind. Look, I knew Jim Boylan at Michigan State. He was, uh, he was with Tom Izzo, and uh, they were coaches underneath uh, Judd Heathcote. Uh, I think, to me, Jim is a college coach, and the NBA is a player's league, and you've got to know that what works on a college campus, uh, which what might work in high school, You've got to treat the NBA player different uh, because that, they're running the league. You know, it's it just that's just the reality of the situation. They're deciding where they want to play, who they want to play with, and who they want to coach. So if you come in guns a blazing like you're going to change this thing up, and you don't have any rings in your pocket, it's it's not going to be received well. And it wasn't. And the players. Uh, when they talked to AK, let it be known that they didn't. I, we also didn't see player development while he was here. Um, you, you look at, at players that you expected to see take steps, and it didn't happen. So it, it was long overdue. I think AK was smart in the sense that Michael Reinsdorf made it known that they liked Jim Boylan. If my boss said to me, hey, look, I'm going to let you pick producer for Blackhawks pre and post. I really like this person. Give them an honest look and evaluation. But ultimately, Pat, you can make that call. I'm not going to piss off my boss and fire that and go, yeah, see it. You know, like that's disrespectful to my boss. I mean, that's not smart business in my world. So I would say, okay, yep, uh, I, will, I will take that into consideration. Thank you. And then I will go about my due diligence of trying to figure out if the recommendation that my boss gave me is one that, that fits with what I want to do. I think that AK did that. I think he was respectful of Michael Reinsdorf. I think all along he's wanted to look at assistant coaches that are playing in Orlando. And I don't think he wanted to jettison uh, Jim Boylan and then go to Philly and Toronto and, and, and say, hey, I know you guys are trying to, uh, to get this resumption of play and try to win an NBA championship. I'm going to pluck a, a, a coach off your staff. I mean, th there's no rush. There, you know, his, this season is not starting anytime soon. So he probably through back channels has the short list down to four. Some of those guys are probably still working with their team. Let them finish their run and then go about the interviewing process, you know, after this NBA season is over in Orlando. All right. That was Pat Boyle of NBC Sports Chicago. He's the Black House pre and post game host, along with Jamal Mayers and Steve Conrad. Also, I forgot to mention at the top of the segment, he's also the co-host of the Hockey Show show with Brian Haley on ESPN Chicago, ESPN 1000, every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. If you guys missed it, Download the ESPN Chicago app and look for the hockey show and download the episodes in, along with previous episodes there. Pat, thank you so much for joining us. Take your time out of your busy schedule. It's truly been an honor and a pleasure having you on, on our podcast today. Keep up the great work. I know Game 3 is Saturday on NBC, but Game 4 is back on NBC Sports Chicago starting at 530, correct? That is correct. 
Sydney, thanks for the love. Lakina, I really appreciate talking to you guys and uh, let's do it again sometime soon. Absolutely. Right, thanks, thanks, Pat. Pat. Stay safe. You too. All right, guys. Thank right. you. Right. No problem. Right, take care. All right. Have a good weekend. You too. You do the same. Be safe. All right. Thanks. All Ooh, right. Boy, that, that was Pat Boyle. Yeah, that was Pat Boyle of NBC Sports Chicago. You can follow him on Twitter at, M at Boyle NBCS. Once again, at Boyle NBCS. Lakina, uh, we told him that uh, he, he allowed us a, a, a certain amount of time, but you, you can see and hear that he's the wealth of information. And oh, yes. we really appreciate it. He's really a great guy. And uh, he, he brought us a, a lot of insight. So the, and that's why he's uh, the best TV host in the business. So oh, yeah. watch him on NBC Sports Chicago and Black House pre and post game live. Uh, yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's a great post game show and pre and post game show. So if you guys haven't checked it out yet, you guys should, you know, him, Jamal Maris, Steve, Steve Conwar. I know Sharpie's there sometimes. I don't know. I don't know if Adam Burr still does that, does it, but, mm -hmm. you know. That's a pretty good looking crew. <laughs> yes. And also, well, as the kids would say, one more again, <laughs> uh, you can catch him on the ESPN Hockey Show on ESPN 1000 yeah. here in Chicago with Brian Haley, Saturday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. When this podcast, will, when it gets released, it'll already be, sad, already be Saturday when you guys are listening to it. But uh, after you listen to this, if you missed the ESPN Hockey Show live, like I said before, download the ESPN, ESPN Chicago app. You can search for the Hockey Show, listen to Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley there. So uh, it's great programming for all Hawks fans, all hockey fans in general. So check those programs out. All right. I don't know about you, Sid, but I want to take a 20 second here and stretch. Oh, and, same, same. Yeah. So we got Shannon Ryan for Chicago Tribune. She'll be talking college sports. It's kind of the future. A lot of stuff going on. I'm sure she'll, you know, she'll have a lot to say about what's been going on these last few weeks. And what we've been saying the last few weeks, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk to her. <laughs> we'll talk to her in a little bit. So, more second season sports Zoom style. Zoom style. All right, folks, welcome back to second season sports Zoom style. Zoom style. All right, I'm Lakina McGee. You can follow me at Keena McGee on Twitter and at Keena underscore McGee on the Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at SidKid80. Once again, at SidKid80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-80. All right. Joining us is veteran reporter from the Chicago Tribune. She does college sports, mainly college football and college basketball. We got a lot to talk with her. You can follow her at S Ryan Tribune on Twitter. She is Shannon Ryan. Shannon, how are you? I'm fine. How are both of you? We're, we're doing, doing just fine. We're doing good. Oh, okay, let's get right to it. I mean, the Big Ten was one of the first conference. Well, 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 I'll say first big conferences. Though. There were other conferences before that already postponed their fall seasons, including their football. So were you surprised by this decision? And do you know what led up to it? Yeah, I'm not entirely surprised. So the Big Ten was the first um, Power Five conference to pull the plug postpone technically because they're hoping to possibly uh, scrabble something together for the spring that would be really unorthodox of course but um, I think there were a lot of red flags leading up to this decision um, even you know a month ago uh, the commissioner Kevin Warren was hinting pretty strongly at the idea of just it's really tough to pull off a fall football season um, I think in days leading up to the decision there was uh, 
you, you start to feel some tension uh, among coaches and players and some frustration, just that a decision was still lingering with kickoff less than a month away. Um, and, you know, you kept hearing these universities and Big Ten schools in particular, um, we'll talk about where there were positive tests. Every school but one of the 14 Big Ten schools have had at least one, um, the only, all but one have had at least one athlete test positive for coronavirus. Um, even Northwestern that had a positive, uh, a false positive test led to 37 players in quarantine. So you just imagine during the football season, something like that happens. If you have to put 37 of your players in quarantine, you're essentially going to forfeit a game or need to cancel or postpone or reschedule a game. And you imagine that happening across the league, it just would seem really, first of all, just logistically almost impossible, a logistical nightmare, <laughs> even though the Big Ten tried to, you know, they, it, it was interesting just that they just released the schedule of their conference games. They were one of the first to say, we're only going to go do conference games. So, I mean, they were trying to brainstorm and get some ideas going. And I think as things came along, and then there were reports about the heart conditions for some players, um, an Indiana freshman, uh, Brady Feeney, his mom, um, made a social media post that was really heart-wrenching. Uh, that's a bad uh, pun there because he did have heart issues uh, that it was real serious and just really sad um, to read about and hear his account of how he's still you know struggling with this and there's this narrative of young people can't get it and healthy people can't get it and um, his account in particular really seemed to strike a nerve with people and I think those issues um, played a part in, in the Big Ten decision. Wanted to ask you about the voices uh, that the players uh, have voiced throughout television and social media in particular. Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback of Clemson, and Justin Fields, the quarterback of, of Ohio State. Of course, that, there was the hashtag, we want to play. Uh, give us your take on the, I don't want to call it social activism, but uh, I, I get that sense from the from these players. Uh, of course, we can attribute it to the uh, unfortunate murder of George Floyd back on Memorial Day weekend, but I noticed that uh, a, a strong activism from these college players uh, knowing their worth because, as I always say, uh, everybody gets paid in college athletics except for the athletes, but with this situation right here, uh, they are really using their voices, and, and I, I don't know if we're going to ever get an association or union, but uh, I think something may be up in the air. What, are your, what is your take on that? Well, yeah, I think the, um, there's probably never been more leverage on the side of players right now, um, as outspoken they are at the college level. Initially, you saw um, at UCLA in particular, their football team was really outspoken and had a joint letter, you know, demanding stronger testing and demanding more oversight for their protection. Um, and then you saw the Pac-12 as a whole, uh, athletes there, um, form something similar, a, a letter um, that was really well publicized and again, demanding more protection for them, more rights for them. Um, and then there was over a thousand Big Ten athletes a letter like that as well. So then there's, you know, the decision of, um, there's rumblings that the season's going to be postponed or canceled. And then you start seeing a lot more coaches and players come out with this idea of we want to play hashtag and kind of pushing for the idea to go and play and credit to the athletes on in both of those groups, because they decided to have a conference call amongst themselves 
and really mesh their ideas. And even the We Want to Play group, one of their demands was a player association. So, um, you know, credit to them for, you know, people could have seen it coming at different sides of this, but they found common ground and voiced that together. And I do think, um, you know, the universities and uh, conferences had to listen to those voices too, um, even though with the Big Ten and Pac-12 um, ultimately postponing their seasons, I mean, you did see more ideas about um, more stringent testing among schools and not everybody was doing that. That was kind of a pitfall of this mm -hmm. as well. But yeah, I do think um, you just hear a lot more from players being outspoken and social media being such a strong tool for them to have um, some leverage and feel like, you know, this can't go on college sports. It can't go on without the players. Now sustaining that is a different issue because of, um, you know, there's rapid turnover in amongst athletes um, every four years, you know, it's going to be a new group and, um, and King Coulter from Northwestern a few years ago, his request um, was denied by the labor board to have an actual college athlete union. So I think this, what they're thinking right now from just talking to different athletes is something along the lines of the player association, but that's, I mean, can be essentially seen as a union in some, some respects. So, um, I do think this is a time where more than ever, you've seen just the um, impact they've had in having college coaches um, go to protests. I mean, that's something, I mean, coaches just would not go near even several months ago saying Black Lives Matter, being part, you know, wanting to associate with that. And because of the athletes, their outspokenness, um, their demands and um, seeing the leverage they had, I think they've made really um, made universities rethink as a whole, just how they want to um, address racial injustices on their campuses. Yeah, I'm so impressed with what some of these athletes are doing. Marvin Wilson with his new coach down at Florida State. And, you know, Kylan Hill said, look, I'm not setting foot back on this, this campus. He plays for Mississippi State. Uh, I'm not setting foot back in this campus until you know, you guys get rid of that Confederate flag in your state, and that's what ended up happening. He ended up getting the key to the city in his hometown, not too far from that campus. So it's great seeing athletes sort of use their platform to sort of like ask for change. And also, as you said, coaches, Shannon, I mean, Tom Herman over at Texas, he was the first person, coach you probably say, came out and said, Look, you, go, you guys need to treat my guys, you know, well, you know, off the field as well as on the field as well as off the field. Yeah, and I think, I mean, for these athletes, too, um, it, it does, I mean, a lot of these guys I've talked to in recent days, too, just about the idea of organizing a players association, they liken, in a way, strategically, what they're doing with the Black Lives Matter movement has done, and swaying public opinion pretty quickly, it seems like, um, you know, a lot of people supported athletes speaking up about these issues, but um, also, they don't want just statements and just like, you know, you'll see Black Lives, Leader, um, Black Lives Matter leaders say, you know, we don't want you to just have like uh, change your Instagram picture for a day. Like, you've got to go beyond that. And that's what I think these athletes are starting to think of and demand to. Um, a lot of them really have mentioned the idea of the name image likeness idea where, uh, which, you know, should be going into effect in certain places. But they're saying like, if that was in effect right now, when these players, um, you know, don't have a season right now, they might not have a season. It very likely for many of them will affect 
future earnings as um, maybe going into the NFL draft. Um, you know, they're saying that right now could help us if we right now could be making some money off of our own name, image, or likeness uh, as the university is doing. Just kind of pointing some, out some hypocrisies of how much, you know, university money, I think it's uncovered a lot of like coronavirus has, uh, the issues with this pandemic has uncovered a lot of different issues in our society. And it's doing the same thing on college campuses with, um, with sports and the injustices there that people see as far as, um, you know, coaches making a ton of money, university administrators making a ton of money, universities being fueled by college um, athletics, in particular basketball and football. When you look at the demographic of those groups, mostly black players, and then just the idea that, like you said, they're the ones not getting paid. And so it's kind of pulling the curtain, uh, if you will, to show some of these issues that are lingering in the background. I think these athletes are, you know, trying to bring those more to the forefront. And it'll be interesting to see if they, how they manage this time without a season to keep that momentum going. Maybe it works to their advantage that they have all this time now to organize and come up with something. Or, you know, there's obviously the risk of losing that momentum and everyone just so happy sports are back again at some point that it's like, oh, well, let's forget all this. So they've got some, I think, uh, strategic work to get done there. Shannon Ryan, college football and basketball reporter for the Chicago Tribune, joining us here on Second City Sports Zoom style, along with Lakina McGee, I am Sydney Brown. Shannon, as of now, uh, the three remaining power conferences, the ACC, the SEC, i.e. the Alabama Conference, as I call them, in the Big 12, uh, as of right now, they are saying that they still want to move on with the college football season. Of course, uh, Mark Emmer, the president of NCAA, says that we cannot – crown a champion because half, more than half the schools are not participating in fall sports. Do you think those three remaining power conferences can, can um, um, form a season, as a, even though 2020 has been a strange year? I just cannot see those three power conferences continuing. I, I, I just don't see it. What's your prediction on it? Well, um, some of them seem pretty intent on playing, and there is, you know, a definite strong fan segment that wants to see that and wants to pay for that, and some universities were saying, you know, we want to have 25% of our stadium filled up still and, you know, kind of operating almost like we're in normal times. But, you know, to your point, um, yesterday there was a media briefing on video conference um, with the NCAA advisory panel of doctors and researchers who know so much about this. And just the, the way they put it, it just seems like, you know, you have to look at this from what they urged and resonated with me and I think others was this idea of, you know, we need to refocus our thinking of not just let's get, how do we get sports back and let's strategize so that we can have seasons, but more along the lines of like, let's refocus how to end a pandemic by, you know, indiv through individual responsibility. Um, and then if we do that, then, you know, we can get back to sports. And, you know, they also just pointed out some of these numbers. I mean, if you look at SEC and look at Georgia, for instance, Georgia is a state where, I mean, the uh, one of the doctors yesterday spoke about how their hospitals are now at, um, hospital beds are at like 98% capacity and ICUs are getting filled up. And he said, you know, a sporting event here where people come to it and, you know, maybe even if, you know, there's, uh, even if there's a lack of fans or, you know, rules that forbid fans from showing up, but maybe still gathering in bars. And then also, you know, another team coming to Georgia, and then there's an outbreak there. 
they just can't, from a health uh, standpoint, um, handle that. You know, they're already kind of the brink of not being able to handle that. So that idea of like, you've got to think beyond this. Now, logistically too, I think a lot of things, um, just from the sports side of it, I hear a lot of athletes and fans talking about this idea that, um, you know, well, if our campus is safe, for instance, the University of Illinois, they really have, I mean, testing that nobody else is, seems to be doing where they were going to do daily testing. And I think, you know, still continue testing right now. But, you know, during the season, the idea was like a daily test um, in the Big Ten standard was twice a week. And that's great. But you have to leave your campus to go play somewhere else or some other team that might not have that testing is going mm-hmm. to your campus. And I think that's where the breakdown is, too, just that, you know, it, it's very hard to institute in football in general with such large rosters, right? This idea of any type of bubble. Um, But even if you can, even if you could have that on a campus, just these large groups of people um, traveling, going to another area that might not have the same testing as you, that might have somebody who's infected and not know it at that point, and then you bring it back to your campus. Is there an outbreak? There's just so many examples. I mean, it's, I know over 90, football teams that have had positive tests already and we've already seen kind of these case studies uh you know examples of what happens so um i'm not sure of like the blind spot there to think like there's not going to be an outbreak in the sec among athletes if you continue like they just anecdotally and if you look at data that it just isn't supported by that so the idea i guess for them is um as one of the doctors said yesterday is you know some of these people want to kind of dip their toe in and see what happens. But what this doctor said is, you know, what's going to happen is you're going to have athletes get coronavirus. So for them, I guess it's a risk they're going to want to continue to take. Um, And then it's just, you know, like I said, if somebody gets it and you've got to shut down your team, just logistically, I'm not sure how you continue with a season. It just seems like it's going to be really difficult for them to continue to do that. Just the stubbornness of some of these coaches, Shannon. I know you've seen this, you've seen this firsthand. I mean, you know, with Scott Frost from Nebraska, who listen, who I've admired, you know, very much, but some of the things he said was just, mm-mm. and he had actually had to walk that back, which I'm, I'm sure probably people at the top probably told him that. You know, also James Franklin from Penn State, also Jim Harbaugh. You guys saw that letter that he had sent. You know, say, look, you know, our guys want to play. Let's take our chances. Blah blah blah. But are you surprised by just sort of like the sheer? I don't want to say like stubbornness from some of these coaches, you know, and they're kind of like lackadaisical attitudes to this virus. Well, I mean, really it doesn't, it's, it's not their decision. You know, it's university presidents and chancellors that get the vote on this. And so I can see, you know, some of them possibly pandering to fans with those statements too. And I mean, I, I see, you know, you can look across the country and just see it's an emotional issue. And I do think some of these guys, look at, you know, this is going to hurt this guy that, you know, maybe his future, like I said, not being able to get to the NFL playing and that's tough or look, you know, you're with these guys every day and you see how hard they've trained or, you know, that on your campus, you're, you're at zero positives right now. And you feel so good about that. But the idea that like, we're going to tough this out and we're, you know, tough enough to get through this and we've got fortitude and determination and all these things used in football doesn't really match up with like whether you get attacked by a virus. So there's a disconnect there. And I just think though, it really adds into kind of what we've seen as as a country of the mis-messaging we're getting, that there's not one solid public health message everybody is getting or 
um, man, like mandates that are more universal or you know apply to everybody that's caused some people to feel differently about this or feel like you know it's being overplayed and other people thinking it's being underplayed and I think that's just kind of fed into all of this and I'm I feel it's unfortunate for um, sports to feed into that and to um, even you know I've seen some people you know mention oh this, this is just really political but I'm only seeing it you know political from the side of politicians saying you should play you should play um, without you know using data really to support that idea too much and more about just like this is sad for the athletes so um, I, I do think like some of those messages coming from coaches there's just more of a responsibility than to think about this beyond sports that it's not just okay you know we want to play a football game how do we play the football game but to think about like how do we get to that point through maybe sharing messages and a lot of coaches have done that, sharing you know messages to the public about wear a mask and stay distance. But those messages kind of go out the window when you're saying, "But we're gonna you know be traveling and playing and going on as if life is normal right now." Shannon Ryan of the Chicago Tribune, the college basketball and football reporter, joining us here on Second City Sports. Shannon, I brought up the name of Mark Emmer, the president of NCAA earlier. Uh, from the outside looking in, I'm very turned off by the lack of leadership from the NCAA. We shouldn't be surprised, you know, if you're looking deep into it. And I think this is one of the many reasons why that college football and college sports are at this point right now because of the lack of uniformity and the lack of uh, decision-making. Um, these conferences basically run college football instead of uh, the president saying, oh, you got to do this, that, and the third. It, it's like he throws his hands up in the air and saying, uh, it's up to y'all. I'll just co-sign and we'll see what happens there. This is me as a fan from outside looking in. It's just, you know, this organization and people uh, that are not on one accord. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that take exception with that and feel like, you know, the NCAA is structured in a way that they can pass the buck kind of. Um, but you do, you know, people pointed out to me like parents of athletes and athletes, but, you know, they they don't want to make a universal case on this, but they want to, you know, but if an athlete gets a sandwich, then, you know, you can't play for the season. <laughs> There's, that's a violation. Yeah. There's those types of rules. Right. So um, there was a, there's a group of um, parents who formed kind of a coalition to try to um, appeal to the NCAA, which I, I wrote about this and um, a former uh, Northwestern player and NFL player and his wife who played basketball at Northwestern. And they have two sons in college football. Um, at Cal and at um, Michigan and you know they that's what they were pointing out is like this maybe we could get something done if there was you knew every school was had the same testing and maybe that was something that NCAA could have stepped in earlier and tried to do that but also I would like to say that um, you know often just blaming the NCAA lets these universities like you said off the hook a little bit too the university will ultimately get these votes and make these decisions and you know a lot of times it you know the coach gets blamed or the NCAA gets blamed or an athletic director and the presidents who are really in charge of you know who give the yes or no vote on these things and kind of get let, let off the hook a little bit too. Now, uh, Shannon, I've, I've always, you know, we were just, you know, listening to like different, different, like, you know, podcasts and stuff with the, the expense of having to test every single athlete multiple times a week. I mean, the Big 12 is talking about testing their folks three times a week, which I don't think is logistically possible. Um, 
do you really think that these conference, the other three conferences, you know, the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC, do you think they are going to be able to pull this off? Or do they just say, you know what, we'll just follow the lead and, you know, we'll see what happens there? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, for instance, I mentioned the University of Illinois was testing daily for their athletes. And that's possible because they have um, a medical center. Um, they had, you know, doctors who work for the university who developed a type of test to have on campus. And even for students, you know, they can go to 12 different testing sites on campus. The idea is that, you know, not every, especially when you look at other conferences, you know, not the Power Five conferences that don't have that amount of money, too that, you know, that's really hard to pull off. Some, some, some athletes um, have only been tested when they got back to campus or when they were suspected of, uh, which was like in June for these workouts, you know, and have only been tested maybe once or a couple of times when maybe they were suspected of um, coming into contact with somebody else. So um, that's really hard then to have a season when you don't have that same type of testing. And some of these universities, I mean, the Right now, you know, there is a struggle because of tuition costs um, and just the amount of money and kind of, I mean, again, something that's been highlighted is sort of how athletic um, departments miss spend money. <laughs> and somebody put it to me like for every $1, they spend $2. So while at the same time, not being able to pay athletes, but um, it is hard. I mean, just kind of that inequity in testing. I think what you're mentioning is a great point is just, it, it makes it really hard to pull off because you can't go to another campus and play and expect that they've tested as stringently as your campus. So, I mean, I think they have to test twice a week, but they can't, but you know, some of these, the idea of doing it daily, which would ultimately be, be safe. I mean, I talked to somebody, a professor who's in epidemiology who talked about the idea of that you just can't, um, you know, even if you fly to a game and you get tested right before you play, that might not be an accurate test because you need some time to, for the, virus to show up in a test. So there's just a lot of pitfalls in this, I think, that make it um, troublesome. Let's turn over to college basketball now, of course. I mean, there will be some changes to the start of the college basketball season. I know Rick Pitino, I think, is back at coaching now. And he came out about a month ago and said that the, the college basketball season should start in January with uh, conference uh, scheduling only, of course, as, as we all know, that the college basketball season starts in mid to late November. You have all these preseason tournaments. Uh, some of them play uh, uh, out of the country to start out the, uh, start out the season. Of course, it's safe to say that's not going to happen this year. Uh, uh, given from your vantage point, Shannon, uh, what do you think college basketball can do? And I know there was also a report that they might start their season like in a bubble if they're going to have these sort of preseason tournament-type uh, schedules yeah. to start off the year. Uh, from your vantage point, how does college basketball uh, look for 2020, 2021? Yeah, I think the most important thing is they really need to learn from college football, which, you know, in a way, give college football a little bit of a break just because they didn't have some model to look at. Like, college mm -hmm. basketball, can, they can't operate the same way as the NBA, of course, um, but you can take some things or see them as a case study to apply to your, your own sport. But... Um, I, so I think the main thing college basketball has to do, first of all, like they need to all be on the same page and come up with one big plan and not have just for, you know, the optics standpoint of what college football went through, where it does have a black eye now where it looks like completely disjointed. Everyone's trying to do their own thing. Coaches, you know, with like 
Scott Frost within a league threatening to like go play outside of the league and you know which is a big diss to the commissioner of course um mm -hmm. you just you know hope I think they're trying to get on the same page now and come up with a realistic plan that's feasible to pull off so but the idea of the bubble is interesting in a way I know you know they've talked about um the leaders of the NCAA have talked about that you know we're going to have a tournament we're going to have an NCAA tournament I could see that working because of that bubble idea and they're essentially um you know you take these athletes anyways away from their campus and school is semi-abandoned a little bit for a while <laughs> and yeah. you know that idea is not something new um but at the same time if you're going to sustain that through a regular season and you're asking college athletes to have a completely different experience which they do anyways but you know this would be really overtly you're not a student like we're really treating you like an employee now where you know you have to be sequestered maybe or your classes have to be online where other students don't have to be online and you have these completely different educational rules for them that are overt right in that sense i think um there may be some issues just with you know again highlighting the legitimacy of the amateur model mm -hmm. um, but like these ideas of pods and um conference only and it's a smaller roster so i mean i think there is something there to work for i mean i think everybody you know i wanted to see a college football season i love the sport i love college basketball but you have to weigh that against public health too and the health of these athletes so um i think for college basketball right now just try, trying to come up with like a plan that can actually be pulled off have everybody on the same page it's a big task to pull, <laughs> to pull off and then you know even if it too even if they would do you know a shortened ncaa tournament um it'll be interesting to see how that goes too because you know the sort of the you know who do you let into that and if you're going to keep out the smaller conferences again not really fair to them either um and it, it'll just be so interesting to see how they would devise that and how to keep it still exciting um and still fair to the athletes as a whole. Let's talk about something non-COVID related for a second, Shannon. Um, Is there anything? Oh, uh, well, I mean, in this case, maybe. I mean, you know, Illinois got, speaking of college hoops, Illinois got two of their top players coming back, Kofi, Clock, Kofi Cockburn and Ao. I'm not going to say his last name. Shannon, you know, I've been having trouble saying his last name. But uh, having those two back, does you think, assuming that there is a season, you know, let, let's, you know, let's put that disclaimer there. Does this make Illinois a top preseason top 10 team? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things, too, that just, you know, for selfish reasons, you know, you want to see a, a season if you cover Illinois or you are a fan of them. Um, even even Loyola here in Chicago, I mean, they are going to have, like, all seniors, and they, they could have a great year again, too. Um, so, but with Illinois, yeah, I mean, Io DeSumo uh, was, you know, he wasn't, like, a sure shot pick, but he had felt like if I – uh, for the for the NBA, but he felt like if I get a chance to do workouts, if I had a chance to do a regular combine, you know, he was pretty set on leaving. So it was just interesting how it was kind of COVID that influenced his decision because he didn't get the opportunity to do a regular NBA combine. The dates were all pushed around and they didn't, you know, there was so much uncertainty for those guys who were kind of on the bubble about and on the fence about am I going to get drafted or not and it was a hard decision I think for a lot of those guys so um I think he thought you know it's better to go back to Illinois 
have a great season and then get my chance to really showcase myself for the NBA. I think it was a really logical decision on his part, but he's a really, I mean, such an exciting player. Um, they had a great year last year. It would have been really fun just because the way they were playing at the end of the year last year, they had so much momentum and just, um, you know, sometimes with those, with teams in the NCAA tournament, they've just got this little touch of magic. I think of like the Loyola team from 2018. And that was how Illinois was last year as far as, you know, just clutch shots and comebacks and those types of things that really are valuable. Plus, um, you know, they're, they're going to have a veteran team next year too with Io and some other guys who have a lot of experience on that roster. And then Kofi Cookburn, who, uh, you know, a seven footer, a more traditional big man, not sure, you know, how, I didn't see him on many NBA uh, draft boards anyways. And um, his style of play right now wouldn't really suit a lot of NBA teams, just his more traditional big man style. But I mean, for, you know, overseas, he wouldn't have a great career probably right now even, but he um, will really benefit by coming back himself too um, for a sophomore season. And in college, I mean, he just, he dominated, he had uh, multiple double digit uh, double doubles last year. And just kind of having that inside out game. I mean, he's uh, really fun to watch a guy just of that size in college basketball. And then with, um, you know, Io Desumu's the way he had these clutch shots and his leadership and kind of that all out play. And then some veteran guys. I mean, it'll be really fun to see what they do. And I think that they are a contender for the Big Ten tournament if it, or for the Big Ten title if it's uh, normal, if we get a season. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My fans have been really frustrated and waiting for that for a long time to get back to that stature. So, I mean, I think I can see why they're rooting for a season. I'm rooting for a season. Before I ask you my next question, Shannon, uh, I'll beat Lakina to the punch. Uh, she would like to thank you for not bringing up DePaul basketball. Because no, he's been so well. on the he radio so well. show and on his podcast about DePaul hoops all season long. <laughs> oh, darn it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, beat me to the punch. All Go right. <laughs> What's the question about the poll? Sorry, I missed it. Go ahead, well, Sid. Again, okay, okay. No, well, well, we'll skip to Paul, so we, we'll say oh, okay, you're going to skip. Going back to college football, just for a hot second, uh, of course, if the other three power conferences uh, uh, just finally decide not to play, uh, they're going to talk about the NFL could move some of their schedule uh, games uh, to Saturday. Do you think that will be a great idea because the NFL – it's still king right now in these United States. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be another thing that would just, um, they, they seem intent on going ahead to the NFL. And, um, and you know, when you look at the NFL or NBA or even the NHL is doing a great job, really, uh, compared to baseball and the lack of bubble in baseball. The Cardinals haven't been able to play, and that's affected other teams' um, schedules. So, you know, I think, the NFL, again, there's those same problems of large rosters, but they do have like so much more resources than college to be able to do testing and to do frequent testing. So hopefully keep it safer. Um, but it, and I, I don't, who knows, but I mean, I think it, they're going to probably try to play in some type of format, either if it's pushed back or watered down to some sense. But um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. And even related to college, just how, um, the NFL tries to scout this year for players is going to be really difficult because, you know, you don't have this fall season to look for the draft. So you're basing mm -hmm. the previous year probably. And 
Um, yeah, for those sure shot guys, like, you know, Trevor Lawrence and, you know, guys that are, you know, probably going to work out or you'd pick anyways, but there's more people that just are going to have question marks and be picked based in, or not have the chance to showcase themselves this year as maybe a senior drafted. So, I mean, there's the ripple effects of this is pretty interesting and, and tough for some people. Well, like, like I told, so he could have asked this question, but I guess he was being a gentleman and let me answer about the DePaul. Uh, Gina DePonsetto uh, retired early this summer. Um, have they, have DePaul made a new AD yet? And if so, what can DePaul do to kind of be right back to where they used, they used to be when we were younger? I mean, the men's, you know, the men's team, you know, they used to be consistent, you know, back in the 70s and 80s and it's like part in the 90s, parts of the 90s, also the early 2000s, but no shade to the women's team and all their, their other sports, but men, the men's hoops team is sort of like the bread and the butter. So have they, have, did Paul hired a new, have they hired a new AD and also what can they do to kind of get their hoops team back into that, that, that top form that we're yeah. used to seeing back way back when? Yeah, there's a lot of, I think, pressure on DePaul to be get a home run type of hire, somebody who's had experience at like major conference level, has had a success building an athletic program, understands like the business side of it and um, knows how to um, key in on that too. Um, I think DePaul, I mean, just like you said, the fans are really frustrated. Um, for a long time now. And, but I think, you know, kind of the key for DePaul is to not think about the seventies and eighties. I mean, it's a whole different ball game and they've got to like catch up to that idea that you've got to compete um, from like a departmental standpoint, like these other schools. And, um, you know, they, they've had, I think DePaul fans are just tired of hearing like, well, we're making some progress and, okay, now we're going to have these good recruits and they're going to make an impact and you'll see it eventually. And now, you know, time has gone on a bit. And I think there, there's probably a lot of pressure on Dave Lato, the basketball coach as well, just because, you know, when there's a new AD, it's almost inevitable at a lot of places, unless you're winning championships every single year, you know, there can be a change. So um, I think if, if that happens too, it's just got to be like somebody that inspires a lot of confidence, has like solid resume, and I don't know who that would be at this point, but you know, people who have had um, that resume of building programs and having success at a major level. A couple more minutes with Shannon Ryan of the Chicago Tribune right here on Second City Sports Zoom style, along with Lakina McGee, I am Cindy Brown. Shannon, I actually read the article of this morning on your Twitter. Uh, you have it pinned on the first tweet on your Twitter account. Uh, it, it was a fun article. It was regarding you and your son who's African-American uh, doing his downtime of, of quarantine. Uh, you guys have a list of, uh, a regular list of sports movies for kids to watch 1 through 15. Uh, I actually uh, heard this from uh, our colleague, Lawrence Holmes, who I'm a big fan of, okay. a 6 7 score. He, you know, he had you on his House of L podcast a while back. And this is the first I, I heard of it at that time. But I read the article this morning. It was, it was very good. So for those of you uh, listeners out there that haven't checked it out, please check it out on her Twitter page. But how did that, did that project, that article come about? It, it was really fun to read. Yeah, I mean, we were kind of in the throes of the quarantine. <laughs> uh, stuck at home so much and um, the weather still being bad, so you couldn't even get outside for a bike ride or anything too much. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then, you know, I was just seeing all these ideas, all these lists uh, uh, in sports publications about, 
you know, movies like, you know, top sports movies, top sports books. And, you know, we were seeing all these reminiscent things, even um, The Last Dance and all these um, mm -hmm. documentaries and everything was kind of, people were very much reminiscing, I see why, about better times and better sports days. <laughs> and mm -hmm. for me, I was just like, you know, so, so I was like thinking, even looking at those lists, like, oh, that was a great movie, but like totally inappropriate for a seven-year-old. So, mm -hmm show my son like Bull Durham, you know, so, <laughs> true, very like, true. You know what? <laughs> so good parenting there, but I was like, um, let me, you know, think of some, there were so many good in like the eighties and nineties, I think maybe early two thousands a little bit, just these goofy kind of sports movies that were perfect for kids and that we really don't see that much anymore. Um, so I was like, let's go through and my son's opinionated, I guess, like I am. So I was like, let's do a <laughs> You know, any kid, I think, whose mom's saying you can watch 15 movies is down for it. So he was uh, fine to chime in. So just kind of, you know, when he'd make comments about the movies, I'd, you know, write that down or, you know, get hit afterward. We'd talk about what you liked about it, what you didn't. So we kind of tried to look at it, too, from a parent perspective as far as, you know, are there good lessons in this movie? Does this movie, is it representative of, you know, what our country looks like? And every kid could identify with characters in this movie. Um, and just, you know, is it funny? Does my kid think it's funny? <laughs> so <laughs> those were kind of like our criterion, but, uh, but it was fun. And, you know, for all the stress of pandemic life, it was, um, hopefully made, you know, people happy or, you know, I heard from people who were like, we're going to go through this list and pick some or watch all these movies too, and see how my kid likes it. And so it was, uh, it was a pretty fun pop project. Make it fun for kids. You know, you gotta, you know, you gotta keep them busy since you yeah. know, they can't go to regular school. So mm -hmm. you gotta make it, make it work. So you did a great job with that article. I read it, my, it, read it myself too. So you had to make it fun. Thank you. All right, a couple more questions here with you, Shannon. Um, can sort of things get back to normal once, once this pandemic sort of finally settles? Do you think things can go back to normal as far as college sports is concerned and also what do you think will be the long-term ramifications of all this? Yeah, I don't think we'll see handshake lines for a while, maybe. <laughs> but yeah. uh, no, I think, um, you know, there's definitely a financial toll from all of this. I mean, a lot of athletic um, departments, maybe not so much at Power 5 programs yet, but um, in some places that too. But you just see, um, you know, certain sports getting cut. Um, you know, certain plans being um, pushed back. Even Illinois had been working for quite a while now on trying to get this hockey, uh, Division One hockey team going. Um, people were excited about it. Even in normal times, they were having a hard time getting the funding up to the level to complete that. So I feel like, you know, that's probably a plan that might be out the window for quite a while just because of the whole state of economics in our state, in our country. So um, I think there's going to be um, some adjustments that probably have to be made there. Even, you know, people um, being laid off in sports departments, staffers. Um, so, I mean, overall, though, I mean, you know, you'll see a lot of these places go back or continue to operate as normal because they have so much money. But when you lose, I mean, the college football season, um, some of these schools are losing, you know, millions, billions of dollars will be lost overall that they were going to bring in from, um, you know, TV rights and, um, there's definitely going to be a ripple effect of that. So I think that's also when you look at college basketball, why there is such a huge push <laughs> to have the NCAA tournament because it's such a moneymaker for the NCAA, for universities um, and conferences that conference tournaments that, 
you know, that they've lost so much money, um, even tuition wise for some of these schools with um, the students opting out to maybe go online or go to the community college um, that it's, um, I think we're gonna see like how teams really, universities need to be creative, kind of make up that ground to get back to maybe some kind of normal. Yeah, they all said? No, I'm good. I'll let you finish it out, Lakina. <laughs> all right. That's Shannon Ryan from the Chicago Tribune. She covers college football and college hoops at, at S. Ryan Tribune on Twitter. Shannon, this was so much fun. We got to do this again. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Thank you. All right. You guys stay safe. You too. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, that was Shannon Ryan from the Chicago Tribune. She covers college football and college hoops for the Chicago Tribune at S. Ryan Tribune on Twitter. She has great articles, so make sure you guys, even if you're not a college sports fan, I mean, she knows her stuff, so make sure to check it out. Yes, she, she, yes, she does, and she was a whole lot of fun today, and that's why we bring the people on that will give you the analysis and their thoughts about the world of sports, and we bring on the heavy hitters, and we did today again, Lakina, so a, a drive well done by both of us. Yes, it was. So let's talk about some of the sports headlines since, since we got a few minutes left here, Sid. Mm -hmm. Of course, we'll talk about sort of the big story here in Chicago. The Chicago Bulls finally pulled the trigger on Jim Boylan. Um, our buddy Mac Peck, you know, kind of said, you know, he told us a couple <laughs> weeks ago when we had him on, like, look, guys, don't, mm -hmm. don't worry, be patient. And he's actually, if you, if you haven't saw, seen his uh, Twitter account, <laughs> he basically said, you know, I told you so with a gift from, I think that was from, like, Eddie Murphy, the golden child, I think, or maybe, maybe it would have been from one of the Beverly Hills hot movies, I'm mm -hmm. not sure. But, uh, I mean, what do you think? Because, you know, Arturus Karnishavis, hey, I said his name, yay. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, okay, I'll, I'll get to AO's name eventually, Shannon, once, if, once you listen to this. Um. But uh, he said that this is purely a basketball decision. There were some rumors that maybe it was contract detrimental to the team. There were some rumors that Joe Cali had put that out there. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, whatever. But uh, I, I mean, I'm glad they finally pulled the trigger because it had to be done. It had to be done, right, Sid? Uh, it had to be done. One, I wish I would have booked Max Peck for today instead of two weeks ago, but that's a whole nother issue. Number two, I, I was I was in the opinion, just like some people, that, that Jim Boyle was going to come back for next season. But in my heart of hearts, I really didn't want it to happen. But as we all know, Lakina, our Chicago sports teams are very conservative. Uh, the, the moves they should make, they don't make. The moves that we think they're going to make to stay safe, they actually do it. But uh, this Bulls management, uh, uh, they are full on board to make this change. It looks like they were given – give them the go-ahead to do this, and now we'll see who their next head coach is. I was watching that first take program. I know I'm not supposed to watch it, and I rarely watch it, but uh, they had, <coughs> excuse me, they had David Fisdale on, who's the uh, ESPN anim NBA analyst, and he said kind of a backdoorish way that he wasn't a candidate for the job. I know him and his wife, he announced on there that they're expecting that first challenge within any moment now, but then he said they, uh, uh, he was going to look out for Jim Borland to call him up because, you know, coaching fraternity is so small he's like I, you really don't want to see anybody lose their job but this is a professional sports is a business that it happens but yeah he kind of said uh, in a in a kind of uh, lack of a better term slick way that 
he didn't right. want to coach the Bulls. So I think he was he's correct in some sense. Like, uh, even though I brought up his name when Matt Peck joined us a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I think David Fisdale will be a head coach again. He just don't let him coach this team. He needs to coach a better team like Houston or San Antonio or uh, not Boston, but you know, uh, up and coming playoff team that's ready to take the next corner. But with that being said, I know that Adrian Griffin, a former Bulls player and a former Bulls assistant, is up for that job. Uh, I don't, I won't mind seeing him getting there, but I don't know who else is a high assistant out there that's a, a press up for that job. So it's going to be interesting to see who does AK and Mark Eversley pick for this job. Well, and don't forget too, you know. AK and Adrian did play in college together at Seton Hall. So yeah. we'll see if it, although there've been some stuff that have came out about Adrian his last couple of days, we won't get into that because it's all alleged, but mm-hmm. we're going to leave that alone. But some other names that are, fe- <clears throat> excuse me, that are being shown, um, Emma Yadoku, who's the Sixers assistant coach, you know, his sort of name's yeah, on the top. His name. Yeah. His name's on the top of the list. Um, former Nets head coach, Kenny Atkinson, uh, Wes Unsell Jr. is another name that's being floated around. Um, also, you know, Darvin Ham is another name. Uh, Becky Hammond, although we'll, we'll see. I mean, they, they may have, like, maybe a handshake agreement or maybe she's more, wants to do more of a front office position. We'll see about that. Um, here's another name that's being floated around that I'm, I'm, I, uh, I think our buddy Jason might like this, but I don't know what others might like it. Mark Jackson. You got Ryan Wasillo saying that, hey, he deserves a shot with the Bulls. What do you think about some of the names I, I told? Uh, Kenny Atkinson jumps out at me because he got a raw deal at New Jersey because they brought in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And of course, you know, when you give, uh, hand over the franchise to your superstar players, uh, the decisions are catered toward the, those type of guys. We all know that the NBA is a player's league, and so – uh, the Nets will get their new head coach. It just won't be Kenny Atkinson, obviously. It won't be Jock Vaughn either, who's our right. current interim coach of the team. So, Kenny Atkinson, he does well with those young players. I know them making the playoffs last year was unexpected with now former player D'Angelo Russell. He had an all-star season. Yeah. So, the Nets really took a step up last year, and not many people expected that. So, Kenny Atkinson is on the top of my list, and then followed by Adrian Griffin. But Atkinson, he works well with the young players. We, we saw that in Brooklyn. Uh, with the no-name superstars and supporting guys like Karius LaVert and Alan Crabtree. And so all, all, all those guys contributed to uh, having a young nucleus of, of guys with the Nets. So I can see Atkinson doing it, obviously, with a little better roster here. But as we as I bring up this question, again, Lakina, we have a rebuild, and hopefully you get back to player development uh, for this franchise. Which players are going to be here for the long haul? Because when hopefully when things turn around, everybody on the, that's on the roster today won't be here two years from now, three years from now. Some of them not not even be here when the season starts. So we'll see what happens there. And that's going to be the number the million dollar question. There it says like who stays and who goes. I mean, will Kobe White mm-hmm. be one of the pieces that you build around? There were rumors, trade rumors about Zach Levine. So do you get rid mm-hmm. of him? Um, Laurie has, Laurie Markkinen has expressed mm-hmm. some of his displeasure at times right before everything shut down. So it's going to be interesting to see what AK and Mark Eversley, what they decide to do, because it's sort of like, they know, I'm sure they know they got to get this right coaching wise. This is going to be the phase, whoever he or she, you know, will end mm-hmm. up being. So it's going to be very interesting, you know, as it develops. I mean, well, we'll see what Jason, how Jason feels about it uh, on Monday, but 
I, I'll, I'll be interested to see what they do. I mean, look, there's a, a lot, a lot of names out there, and I'm sure once, listen, a lot of those guys, these guys I've made, named are in the bubble right now, so they can't really talk to them at this point. So it'll be a while before we find out who that person ends up being. But it'll be interesting, though. I mean, it'll be just in, depend on the direction and everything else. So should be interesting search. Yeah, I think just to wrap up before we move on. Uh, I think it's, I know the Bulls want to talk about make the playoffs, make the playoffs. Of course, that's the goal. But uh, you need a, a coach that to help guide these young guys and, and, and get them better. Because as we've said before, before you take the next step, we got to see who, who develops, who stays, who goes. So they need a type of uh, maybe a young coach that can relate to these players and, and help grow them uh, as basketball players. Because right now, as we've been saying, uh, player development has been lacking with this Bulls franchise for a while now. Yeah, that and getting back. Let's get back to 500 first before you start talking about. Exactly. Before exactly. you start talking about uh, going to the playoffs, let let's sort of like take baby steps here. Yes. All right. Some uh, NFL news. Uh, rookie, you know, Seahawks rookie Kima Silverand was kicked out for bringing a trying to sneak a female into a hotel a team hotel their team hotel room and I guess she tried to kind of like disguise herself by wearing his jersey try to blend blend in probably not the (laughs) probably not the smartest thing to do I think but uh there's always that one person that tries to kind of like go around the rules so what do you think about this Sid I know I know you've read about it and heard about it so (laughs) what do you think (laughs) On this week's episode of How Dumb Can You Be, Be, Be? <laughs> First of all, I'm not an expert on criminal activity, so I uh, uh, hold that statement to your heart. <laughs> Number two, as, as former Chicago radio DJ Sam, Sam Silk once said, if you're going to do wrong, do wrong right. If you're going to sneak a girl in, don't have her in Seahawks gear. That's just too obvious. <laughs> have her in a business attire or something to that bad that she can blend in with quote unquote normal people or have her dressed up as a hotel worker or something to that effect. But having her in Seahawks gear in a Seahawks jersey? Are you kidding me, man? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Some people just don't think, and uh, some people just they uh, outthink themselves, and this is what happens, you know. Uh, you want to feel sorry for him, but after reading the story and hearing what you just say, like, do you feel sorry for him? I don't. Just was a very smart move. I mean, with everything exactly. going on, you know, this is a lot. Look, you saw what happened to Lou Williams. You saw what happened to some of the other players in the NBA bubble. We'll get to them in a, in a bit, right, really mm-hmm. quick. But this is just really stupid. I mean, there's always that one dumb person in a group that there's always yeah. that one person that's like, you know, wants to do stupid stuff. But and that's just silly. I mean, you know, have her, like you said, have her, why was she wearing like business attire or maybe probably could have had her in a uniform, maybe, you know, as a, as a worker or something, you know, maybe she was turning down the bed. I don't know, but that's just, it just wasn't, it just, and her, in your own, your own Jersey, mind you. I mean, knowing that they would probably have, there are people that are kind of the case that can snitch on you. I'm just going to say it. So come on, come on. Maybe could have called up Tyler Perry uh, 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 and he could have asked him for some advice or dressed her up as Medea. I don't know. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. So. <laughs> maybe just me, I don't know. Yeah, or maybe Vicky Lawrence from my mama's family. I don't know. Oh, right, exactly. I mean, it, it, it's just crazy. <laughs> the whole thing is just silly, so I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, 
Okay, let, let's talk about some NFL news for the actually good NFL news. Two of the league's top tight ends, George Kittle and Travis Kelsey, have got paid. Now, my only – both of them well-deserving, you know, both, you know, like I said, they're two of the top tight ends. Can Allen Robinson get some of his money, some of that money, please? Ryan Pace, come on now. Where's his, <laughs> where's his paper? Uh, I think he will get his paper, but uh, we have to see how this quarterback situation plays out for the Bears. Uh, as we said before, as I said before, uh, now with no preseason games, Mitchell Trubisky will be your starter unless Hemphabitty gets hurt in the Zoom-style training camp or if he gets, Hemphabitty gets hurt sometime uh, uh, during the season. So I think Allen Robinson will get paid, but just uh, it, it depends on how well Mitchell Trubisky and or Nick Falls plays for the Bears this year. Now, going to the tight ends of George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey's been the best tight end in the league for perhaps his entire career. This is his reward and, and also for bringing home Kansas City's first ever Super Bowl title. And for George Kittle, he's in the best in the league right now. We'll see how much he improves coming up this year. If he can uh, improve more as a uh, pass catcher, we'll see how Jimmy G, it all depends on how Jimmy G uh, plays this year because he has, uh, Jimmy G has a lot to improve on because uh, that team leans heavily on the run game in strong defense last year. We also, when you put the ball in Jimmy G's hands a few times, uh, especially in that Super Bowl on that third down play, when they were still ahead before Kansas City came back, he failed on them uh, play action uh, attempt to Emmanuel Sanders, now ex-teammate. So uh, we'll see how, how that goes for the 49ers, but uh, uh, contracts extension for, uh, for both players are well-deserved and well-earned. Yeah, so... We'll see if Allen gets his paper too. And also Zach Ertz, you know, from Philadelphia, because mm-hmm. there were some talks of maybe them having him having a section, but now apparently talks have broken down. So I'm sure the pressure will be pushed on Philly to, to you know, make sure he gets paid. So we'll see what happens there. Um, real quick about the NBA, the playoff, the playoff seeds are set in the East. Still so to play for in the West, you got, it's going to be Memphis versus Portland for the play-in. They get to play LeBron, AD, and the Lakers, the winner of that. So, look, if you saw Dane Litter a couple of days, a couple of games ago, said, look, I don't, want to, I don't want to waste my time, so I'm going, to play, I'm going to play my butt off, and he's been doing just that. So who do you think wins, him or John Moran and the Grizzlies? Him and the Blazers or John Moran and the Grizzlies? Uh, I'm going with the Portland Trailblazers hands down because, as you mentioned, Damian Lewis has been perhaps arguably the best player in the bubble next to Devin Booger of the Phoenix Suns. So even though they won all their games in the bubble, they're going home. Uh, John Moran, he's been playing his, uh, his butt off too, but the Grizzlies had looked horrible in the bubble. Yeah. So uh, I'm going with the momentum with the Portland Trailblazers. As I've been saying since February on our radio show, Oh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see that in a minute. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, this is going to be a fun series. And it wasn't until their last game Memphis actually has looked really bad and they've actually lost most of their games. So, it'll, like I said, I mean, but I think Portland and Dave Lillard are on a mission. Carmelo wants to be able to you know, get a chance to play in the playoffs one more time. So, it should be a fun series. Go ahead, Sid. Yeah, before I froze up, I think that's what happened there. Uh, we'll get more into uh, the, the playoff preview in our next podcast coming up next week. But I, I, I think that Lillard has been on the roll. And he's been, uh, as I said, arguably the best player in the bubble. Of course, mm-hmm. you had to throw in T.J. Warren as well from the Indiana Pacers. 
and Luka Doncic from Dallas. I know they struggle here as of late in the, in the bubble. Right. So, but Portland has the momentum, and they have players that can give the Lakers problems. As we mentioned, Zach Collins or Nurkic is back now. A slim down uh, Carmelo Anthony and Gary Trent Jr. as well as a world player. So, they can give uh, the Lakers trouble. And uh, don't be surprised if that series goes seven. Yeah, against that, the Lakers. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised, and I think if look, I'm sure LeBron, AD, and the rest of the Lakers are probably cheering for the Grizzlies. <laughs> they might. Oh yes, you they know might they be cheering for the Grizzlies. You know they are. So, um, a couple of notes: um, Arizona and Colorado, they're tied at one-one at the end of the first period. There, uh, we didn't talk about the Cubs, but you know the Cubs, they now have the best record in the in Major League Baseball now. You know, we'll get into it with Jason coming up on the ne- our next podcast, but they've been on a roll lately, and I, and I and I have to say that you know they look they look pretty good. The Cubs do. Yeah, and the Cubs last game, um, you Darvish carried a no hitter to the seventh inning, I believe. So he's been looking really good, and so uh, the, the Cubs they have it on all cylinders right now. The one thing that concerns me, like I said, we'll get into in our next podcast, is their bullpen. Yeah. Let's see if they can turn that around. Yeah, I, yeah, I hope they can. That could be that could be a hindrance. We saw what happened to the Yankees. Speaking of the Yankees, they got they're winning a couple in the row, but unfortunately, Stan's going to be out for a few weeks, so that might be a hindrance for them. Um, the Rays have won six in a row. We'll see what they do. The Rockies are hanging in there with the Dodgers, so I mean, like I said, we'll get we'll get more in depth with this when you know when we do our next podcast with Jason, but. Baseball's looking pretty good. I mean, the Cardinals, you know, they'll have to play three doubleheaders over the, the, this weekend. So I, I actually kind of feel bad for them, but I'm, we'll see. And it's the fact that my White Sox go yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, yeah, two doubleheaders, Sydney, with your White Sox. So, uh, yeah. And also with the Cubs, too, on Monday. So, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, anything else on your sports bars on your mind? Uh, I'm looking forward to games three and four for the Chicago Blackhawks game three Saturday, which is uh, assuming this podcast will be released on Saturday. Uh, the Saturday is, is tonight, but Saturday <laughs> at seven on NBC. That's free TV, folks. Yep. And then, of course, game four is on Sunday at 530 on NBC Sports Chicago locally. So tune in to see if the Hawks can extend this series by any way means necessary. I'm looking forward to that. Of course, the White Sox are getting back on the field. Hopefully, this weekend against the Cardinals. And lastly, if, if you're a Cubs fan, uh, the men in blue can continue their hot streak. Of course, the NBA playoffs will get started next week. Uh, the hockey playoffs are off and running. So it's, it's an exciting time for sports fans. A full buffet for, uh, for you to choose from. Sticking with the NHL playoffs, I'm looking forward to that Montreal Philly series. Philly has won, won game one, so I can't wait for game two. Actually, it's going to be starting mm-hmm. in – should be starting in a few minutes, so I'm looking forward yeah. to that. That should be fun. Yeah, I, 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 I mistakenly said last week uh, Boston and Montreal. Uh, I had to correct myself. Like you said, it's Montreal and Philadelphia. They're still going to be one heck of a series. Uh, Carolina and Boston, they had a classic game one yeah. um, the <laughs> other day. And so that's, and that's a rematch of the, of the second round series from last year. So right. that's going to be fun as well. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're out of the playoffs thanks to the Columbus Blue Jackets. That was a long game, but this is the playoffs, so anything can happen. So uh, it's an exciting time to be a hockey fan. Staying Cup playoffs, even though there's no fans in the stands, uh, the games have been exciting. And shout out to the Vancouver Canucks for winning game one. They dominated yeah. the Blues 5-2. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean that, that we'll see if they can pull pull it off there. Um, I misspoke. The the Flyers Canadian series actually tie one one. There, all this stuff has sort of like been happening like consecutively with the NHL playoffs. So, so I misspoke. But I would be surprised if that series goes seven. I mean that that that's gonna be a fun series. You know, lots lots of scoring going on there. Um, I, I'm like you said. I mean, we'll see with the White Sox. You know, they 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 you know Dallas Keuchel kind of pulled Jason Hayward with. You know, talking with the team, and they've actually been playing very well lately. They were able to win their series against the Tigers, so we'll see if they can keep up their streak. Um, the Cubs, I mean, we'll see if they can continue their hot start. Um, what's another one? Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, we'll see what the Bulls do with their coaching service. We'll see how, like, once you know everything sort of sells in with the NBA and the bubble with the playoff starts. I need like like we've been saying. I'm sure the Lakers are going to be cheering for John Morant and the Grizzlies to 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 win because yeah. they did not want to face Dame and Carmelo and the Blazers in the playoffs. So we'll we'll talk more on in depth about that, you know, in the next podcast. But lots to look forward to, and also congratulations to the Portland Timbers. This is their I believe their third MLS. Well, MLS you know is back, but this is their third MLS okay. Cup in the last five years. So congrats to them and a great final against Orlando. Got to have a little bit of soccer there. And they've been able to do well in the bubble. You know, the ESPN and Fox crews did a great job. So props mm-hmm. to them. And I know a lot of their, their commentators had to call the games from a studio, the studio, but they did a great job. So got to commend MLS for able to do all this in the bubble. And Zora showing, t- showing the other leagues that, hey, you know what? You guys can do this. If you put in the bubble, you put the rules in place, and you can do it. Yep. All right, on that note, you can follow me at Keenan McGee on Twitter, at Keenan underscore McGee on the Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at SidKid80. Once again, at SidKid80, that's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. And you can read all of my articles on the Blackhawks, White Sox, and more at WeAreRegalRadio.com. That's W-E-A-R-E-R-E-G-A-L radio.com. And we are on iHeartRadio, so download. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, download the iHeartRadio app, type in the search engine box, War on Anchor, that's W-A-R-R on Anchor, just type it in, in the search engine box, shout out to our uh, now friend of the show, Alana Techhour, I saw it on her um, Instagram timeline that uh, I tweeted out the link, I think, from my Twitter, and I used the iHeart uh, link that, that our podcast was on, so it's true now, folks, download the iHeartRadio app, type in the engine search, War on Anchor, and you'll get all, all of our podcasts. Uh, there. Uh, you can get uh, all of our podcasts on iHeart uh, Radio app, um, Google Play, Stitcher, um, everywhere you get your podcast, download your podcast, you search for us there. If you forget all that, just remember iHeart Radio. Download the iHeart Radio app, type in War on Anchor, you'll get all of our uh, podcasts and episodes there. Also, if you want to see our lovely faces, we're also on YouTube. You know, go yeah. on real regular on YouTube. You know, all the podcasts are there. So if you want a visual, if you see our lovely faces, yes. you'll now be able to watch it. So subscribe, kids. Yes. And also, we'd like to thank Pat Ball of NBC Sports Chicago, the Black House pre and post game post, and Shannon Ryan, the college football reporter in Chicago, Chicago, and college basketball reporter as well from the <laughs> Chicago Tribune. So we'd like to thank them both one and all for joining us today. Another great show in the books. We'll be back on Monday uh, with Jason. I'm sure he'll have a lot to say with all everything that's been going on. So mm-hmm. you guys stay safe. 
wash your hands, you know, keep your mask up over the nose, over the mouth. Just saying, make sure you wear the mask, right? <laughs> so this has been Second City Sports Zoom style for Sid. I'm Lakina. Be safe out there, folks. See you next time. Holla!